0: The Faith Tested by Fire podcast, episode 17, Only Believe. Hey, this is Jim Galliano, and today I want to talk to you about the topic or the subject, Only Believe. At the end of the day, all of the complex teachings and theory It doesn't save a person from anything, not in this life and not in eternity. The message that Jesus preached was a simple message of faith. Only believe. He told his disciples, you believe in my father, believe in me too. It says in first, or excuse me, John's gospel, chapter 14, verses one through four. This is the American King James version. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. You can keep on reading that, and you'll see that um, the question was asked you know, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And and that's when Jesus replies that I I am the way. So he took the what we would might call details. If you wanted to know how to get somewhere, maybe you want details like um, how many miles away it is, and where you have to make turns, and what directions you head in, and when Jesus said the question, "Where I go, you know the way." The simple answer was. I am the way. In other words, you don't need to know anything more than who I am and that all things are possible if you believe. Because the whole gospel message is a message of faith. And sometimes if you focus on that topic of faith, sometimes people will put you in a category. Maybe they'll say, oh, you're one of those uh, faith people or, or word of faith people or name it and claim it people. So you can't take a group of people and then Determine that a a particular message is no good just because there's a group of people maybe that took something to an extreme or people that used a message to try to um, fulfill their own maybe what you would call uh, selfish wants. Um, And it, it actually says that in the book of James, there are some people that ask and receive not. It, he's, James said like this, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. In other words, their motivation was they were just heaping things upon their own lust. So, you know, you can, everybody can relate to that. I mean, in, in the natural, I mean, who wouldn't want to drive a better car, live in a nicer house, uh, maybe eat better food, maybe wear a little nicer clothes. I mean, there's no end to the things that you can want. But in in this context that we're talking about here, Only Believe, we're talking about our life here in this world, on this earth. We're talking about the big picture of life. That's what Jesus was covering in John chapter 14. This is before he went to the cross. His time, talking one-on-one, face-to-face with his disciples was a limited amount of time. And so his instructions or his encouragement was not just to live here the best you can. It was a big overview of this is not the last stop for you. My father has a house and there are many dwelling places in there. So don't be troubled by the things that you're seeing around you. Don't be troubled by what happens here on the earth because I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. So um, all the end times message all aside, our time here in this world is very limited. And so when the Bible says the time is short, whether you read those verses in the 16, 17, or 1800s, whether you read them for the first time in 2016, wherever you are in life, the time is always short. Because our time here is so brief, the Bible puts it this way, it's like a mist or a vapor that's here for a moment and then gone. So when we hear these things, we're in the midst of tests, trials, and tribulations. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that our time here is very brief and it is very short. But there is a life beyond this world that's on the other side. And if you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, then there is a place prepared for you. In other words, this is not your final destination and thank God for that so uh, Jesus went on let me let's read another scripture verse let me just switch gears a bit uh, John chapter 10 verses 7 through 10 it says Jesus said to them again truly truly I say to you um, in the original language that we have access to those words truly truly or verily verily infer that, What I'm about to say to you is so amazing, but I just want you to know right before I say it, right up front, that it's absolutely true. It's absolutely the fact. That's what's implied there, excuse me, in that verse. So he says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Again, notice he didn't say, I came to point out where the door is or give you directions to the door, show you the door. He says, I am the door. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly." So you can see by these verses that bad things happen because there is a thief that steals, kills, and destroys. And I I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus used the word thief because a thief operates by secrecy. I don't know if you've ever been the uh, victim of a break-in before, but it has happened to me. It's happened to some people that I know. It's happened to people in my family. And... It happens when, you, when you're not expecting it, when you're not looking for it, when your guard is down sometimes. One night, um, I was out, and when I came back, um, my, I was out with my wife, and, and she noticed when we came back that there was broken glass going into the kitchen. And we, I, you know, I just thought it was odd, and, and she was the one that, that added things up very quickly, quicker than I, than I did, or than I could. That someone had broken in, a thief had broken in, or thieves had broken in, and when we got in the house and unlocked the door, the uh, we had a dog. Our dog was in the kitchen, thankfully, it's just a small dog, a miniature pincher, probably weighed about eight pounds. And thankfully, our dog—they didn't hurt the dog. They didn't kick it or anything like that. But you know, when you realize that you've been broken into and you see that your drawers are emptied out and your whole house is disheveled because they were looking quickly for things. And then you start to take inventory and you realize what's been stolen. It's a, it's a terrible feeling, but Jesus used that example of a thief and the thief in this context, doesn't just steal. In other words, he just doesn't take things from you, but he also kills and destroys. So the thief, of course, is referring to Satan, demons, evil spirits, fallen beings that operate in the earth, either independent of individuals or people or through people. So um, when we look at things like steal, kill, and destroy, we can easily see when you look at the human condition that sickness and disease are thieves that steal a person's health, that kill individuals. That's why Jesus went about doing good healing all that were oppressed by the devil, it says in Acts 10.38. Because he was the will of God in action. He reversed Satan's oppression over man, not just generally, but individually. So bringing this subject back to you and I, uh, what do we have to do if we've been stolen from? I mean, maybe you're not sick physically, but maybe you've been stolen from in other areas of life. What do you need God to do for you? I mean, Jesus even said, what do you want me to do for you? Wouldn't it be obvious what they wanted, seeing that they were blind? You know, I believe 100% that if the blind men had said, well, we just want to have more peace in our lives, or I have a, a pain in my neck and my back that keeps me from sleeping at night, then his response probably would have been the same as it was. Well, according to your faith, be it done unto you. I mean, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, the people that received the miraculous from God, the one thing, the one qualification they had was they had faith or they believed. There's cases like um, Lazarus, where he was raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He didn't have faith to come back from the dead. Uh, Jesus just initiated that miracle, it seems, on his own and in other places, but more often than not. Um, Jesus always made reference to that person's faith or that person's belief and asked them, required them to believe. So rather than make a, a formula out of it or intellectualize it so much, um, I, I prefer to look at it this way. Sometimes God just does things on his own and before you even ask, he can answer. But other times, You won't see an answer unless you ask and believe. So when you talk about getting back to this uh, concept of the thief working in the earth today, there's no shortage of people who are living in fear, who are living um, subject to all sorts of, of, of evil things happening in their life. And Jesus didn't say that I've come that you might have religion and have it more abundantly. He didn't say that I've come that you might understand the mysteries of all creation. He said, I've come that you might have life, and in that life, have it more abundantly. So when it comes to the topic of Christianity and how people relate to God on a day-to-day basis, I believe that most people make things way too difficult. For example, you can make a book out of two or three scripture verses, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with writing books. Others, including myself, have written them. But the problem is, I wonder if most Christian people, or many of them, are coming to the place where the Bible is no longer enough for them. For example, um, Jesus taught on faith in Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. Uh, Hebrews dedicates a chapter to the subject of faith in the 11th chapter. James talks about perseverance in the first chapter. persevering faith in the first chapter of his epistle. So when you look at the scriptures, how much knowledge do you actually need to receive from God? I mean, none of the people that Jesus healed were Bible experts or Bible scholars. Um, Most of them weren't even in the synagogue all the time. So the problem isn't a lack of information because there's more information today than there's ever been. If it was information or just no knowledge, um, then everybody would have it made, or a lot of people would have it made. But it's a lack of belief. When visible results weren't forthcoming, Jesus pointed to the person's unbelief. So do you think that would be any different today than it was in his time? And this is a tough area for people to deal with. If you pray for something that you know is good, that you know The Bible shows that God did it for somebody in the Bible. Why wouldn't he do it for you, right? I mean, Jesus was the will of God in action. There was only one person that you can find in all the Gospels that said, if you are willing, you can make me whole. And that man obviously was the one person that probably wasn't convinced. Maybe thought he was too sinful or something like that to have God bless him. But Jesus didn't come for people that were holy. It says he came for those who were sick. He didn't come for the, the righteous, people who are already walking by faith. So, and again, I don't wanna break this down because when we start getting into theology, then you can argue all day long. Uh, people will defend their position on how uh, something like water baptism should be done. Should it be done by full immersion or if you just got sprinkled or if it was done in a bathtub, which one is right, which one is wrong? Should it be done in the, just in the name of Jesus, or should it be done in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name? I mean, there's all these breakdowns with people. But at the end of the day, the only thing as a, as a believer, as a person who believes in God, as a person who believes in Jesus, <clears throat> the only thing that changes my life is results. Isn't that true? I mean, I either have peace or I don't have peace. You know, I mean, I'm either f- free from sickness or I'm not free from it. You know, I, I can either pay my bills or I have holes in my pants. And I mean, really, when you get down to the basics, I either have enough to eat or I don't. I either have a roof over my head or I don't. Um, so when you pray for something and that thing doesn't come to pass, it's easy on the mind just to say it wasn't God's will than it is to take responsibility for living in unbelief. And that's a hard thing pill to swallow and everybody. Any person who believes is going to have to swallow it at one point or another. I know you can get mad about it. You can fuss with it. You can read books about it. But still, if you go back to the Gospels and you watch Jesus in action, if the, if the Bible is going to be the last authority on the subject, the only requirement that you can find for a person to receive is that they only believe. And in some cases, they didn't even have to believe. God just did it for them anyway. But the people who actively sought an answer and actively looked for God to help them, the only requirement that I see is to only believe. Even the people that were sinning, Jesus didn't tell them to stop sinning and then come back and he'd heal them. He just said, go your way and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. So even that wasn't a speed bump to them receiving. It was just a speed bump to what would happen in, in the future. He said, go your way. Sin no more, lest you might find yourself future tense in a worse situation. So the only basic steps, if you want to look at it like that, that you see outlined in the Bible are ask and believe. You receive because you've asked and believe. Or you have faith that you have something that can't be seen or felt. You can find scripture after scripture which support God's intervention as a result of believing prayer. So the people in the West, it's funny, but those who are healed and recover from incurable diseases are often put in the category known as medical anomalies. If there were more cases, I guess they'd have to ditch that label and find another. But here's the thing. If you have the experience yourself, then it puts to rest all the debate and arguments from your perspective. I know because it's happened to me multiple times. The last time it happened for me, I had something growing on my scalp that, that looked very ugly. And in the natural, uh, you know, thoughts of fear and worry came. Uh, thoughts of unworthiness came uh, when it comes to asking God for help. I mean, there's always something in your life you can be doing better, right? There's always areas you can be more sincere in. There's always more ways that you could please God as far as your outward things that you do. Uh, maybe you're a stingy giver sometimes. I don't know. But if you look deep enough, you can find all kinds of problems. But the idea is, is that you're saved by grace, not of works. And all of your struggling really won't amount to much at the end of the day, except you wind up frustrated, angry, confused. And then there's plenty of books out there that will support you being that way. But none of those things help you. In at the end of the day, Maybe you have to look at what you're doing and how you're approaching it. I mean, consider these words. This is from Acts chapter three, verses one through 12. It says, Now Peter and John went up into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John go uh, about to go into the temple, asked alms. Now there are people who've said, well, you know, Jesus passed by that way too, and he never, never healed this man. Uh, why is that? Well, let's just read and let the Bible answer the question. It said, And Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed to them expecting to receive something of them. So you see, there was some expectancy there. This man didn't know what he was going to get. He probably figured he was going to get some money or some help or who knows what he was going to get. Um, Maybe they were going to take him and find a place for him to live, but he was anticipating something. Then Peter's response to that anticipation is, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaped up, stood and walked and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. So he was a very excited man. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he that sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. And as the layman, which was healed, helped Peter and John, all the people ran together to to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered and said to the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this, or why look so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness, we made this man walk." So what was he saying there? He said, it's not something that we can turn on or off. In other words, it's not our power. You know, if I own something, I call it mine. If I'm borrowing something, it belongs to somebody else, but I can still use it, right? It's not by our own holiness, he said. In other words, it's not because we live such sanctified lives or we watch every word that comes out of our mouth. Um, in other words, they were they were men of uh, like passions, just like Elijah was when James talks about him. These are just human beings, fallible, frail human beings. So it wasn't by their power. It wasn't by their holiness. And this is what Peter explained. It was by the name of Jesus and faith in that name. Acts 3.16, And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Notice the wording, the faith which is by him. Other translations say the faith which is through him. So it would seem that faith comes from or you might say flows from new place, uh, two places it's within your own spirit or within your heart. And it also flows from God through Jesus into you. So it's not stagnant. I guess if you looked at faith, it wouldn't, faith isn't like a puddle inside you. As far as if I was going to liken it to some kind of water, it's something that flows. It's like a stream. And that's like the Bible says, the Holy Spirit out of you will flow rivers of living water. So faith is something that flows, it's not stagnant. And you know, the Bible illustrates our connection to Jesus Christ using a physical body as the comparison. It says he's described as being the head and we're described as being the body, the ones who uh, live on earth and the rest of those who are already in the heavenly world. In other words, the believers. Colossians 1 18 says that he is the head of the body of the church. So, if you think about how a brain controls the body and regulates different functions, you can get a basic idea or picture of how spiritual things uh, like faith flow in a circuit from the head down through the body and then up through to the head again. So, with that in mind, notice what Jesus said about believing in the following verse. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If you can believe, All things are possible to him who believes. So there's an if in the statement. If you can do this, right? So um, if you can do this, then you can have that. That's basically the way he put it. Because there's a connection from the natural to the supernatural. We're connected to God through Jesus. So Peter said in Acts 3 that the faith came through Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the the same uh, Jesus taught in, excuse me here, Um, let me get back on track. There's a connection that we don't fully understand on this side of eternity. It's not just hearing about God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's not just the information. It's the living connection. That's where the results come from. So this is all good news. So it's not a matter of you convincing God to help you. He's already given us, the Bible says, all things that pertain to life and godliness, according to 2 Peter 1.3. He's already promised to never leave you or forsake you in Hebrews 13.5. He's already promised healing and forgiveness, according to Luke 5.23 and James 5.15. Our part is to ask and believe. When you believe something, you act and you talk like it's true. By watching and listening to a person, you can tell what they believe. For example, if they don't eat meat, their outward actions support an inward belief. Their actions and their words are in one accord. If you say you believe one thing, but your actions contradict your words, you really don't believe what you say you believe. Not yet anyway. So right now, I believe there are certain items in my backyard that's just natural human faith. The shades are drawn, so I have to use some faith. For example, the last time I was in the backyard, there is a wheelbarrow outside, and I believe it's still there. Once I actually look and see it for myself, I know it's there so I don't have to believe or use any kind of faith, even natural human faith. I can literally see it, feel, or touch it. So we have a certain type of natural faith that works based on what we've already seen, based on our past experiences, and so on and so forth. And then there is the spiritual kind of faith that believes what God said, that believes in God, that believes in Jesus and in his name. So Jesus didn't say, believe you're going to receive it or believe you're going to get it. He said, believe you get it while you're praying. You can read and reread Mark eleven twenty four 24 again. Most people think you're supposed to believe you're going to get it, but that's not what it says. So in closing, here's how you know if you're believing or not. If you pray and you ask, at that moment, I believe I receive. In other words, I choose to use my faith and believe that God has already given me what I've asked for. I believe it's mine I believe I have it now. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, if I still don't see the answer, I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm not going to all of a sudden switch from what I believe to what I see. I'm not going to ask the question, why is it taking so long? That thought may cross my mind, but if I start earnestly asking why it's taking so long in my heart, then I no longer am praying according to what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four 24 and in Matthew 21 21. In other words. If I believe that I'm going to get it, that's not Bible faith. That's just natural hope. I'm looking forward to the future. Jesus said, believe you have it when you ask for it. If I start wondering why things are taking so long, then I'm no longer believing. I may be back into just natural human hope again, and that just doesn't work 99 out of 100 times. I'm just telling you, in my own experience with praying, believing, and receiving since 1986. So if I start again, here here are the questions that you don't wanna deal with. You don't wanna think about manifestations. You don't wanna think about when you're gonna see it. You don't wanna think about those things. You wanna believe that it's already yours. You wanna see yourself as already having uh, received the answer because that's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Anything that has to do with sight, thinking about manifestations, thinking about time, thinking about when, all of those things will take you out of faith and lead you into unbelief. Now, naturally, if you've prayed and you're thanking God and you believe you've received and an entire year goes by, if you really believe, then what's going to happen on the inside of you is it's going to seem like it's already happened. When you truly believe, it seems like you already have the answer, even though you can't see it outwardly. And it seems like it to the extent that it actually creates a, a sense of joy in your heart. That's about the best way that I can explain it. When you truly believe, then the tormenting thoughts of what would happen if you never saw it no longer have a stronghold on you. They no longer bother you. Thoughts of failure, although they may come, they're just like a, a a wisp of smoke that you can easily blow away. No, when you believe, it changes something in you on the inside. And that's why the Bible says to fight the good fight of faith, because thoughts, impressions, dreams, suggestions from other people, these are all things that the Bible says that enter in and choke the word, it, and it becomes unfruitful. So uh, a great example of this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, when Jesus taught them about how uh, the sower, the parable of the sower, what it means and how it works. He says there, the sower sows the word, Mark four fourteen. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they've heard, remember faith comes by hearing. When they've heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts so once you believed you know just by these verses what happens next it says satan comes immediately so but some people they continue they persevere in faith and they don't have that faith taken immediately out of their heart they don't have the word that they heard taken away and verse 16 says likewise these which are sown on stony ground who, when they've heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. You know, a lot of people get offended when you talk about faith and believing and receiving. They'll say something like, Well, I know somebody that prayed and they died, and are you trying to tell me... Well, these are people that have no root in themselves. They only endure for a time. These are people who can believe for about 30 days, some of them 60 days. That's it. The pressure is really on after a while that they just grow weary. They become offended. And let me tell you something. If you're offended uh, by the whole topic of faith, there's plenty of company for you out there because there's a lot of people. Who are offended by God's promises? Who take the supernatural element totally out of uh, the Gospels, and they limit themselves to um, science? Uh, they limit themselves to friends or relatives and their ability to help. In other words, God is no longer the source. They're 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 not looking up. In other words, they're looking around them for help. There is a difference. And then it says, um, these are those which are sown among thorns to just hear the word. And then the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, lust for other things, entering, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So all of these um, here are examples of people who hear the word. Now, this can be relative to your life. And as you proceed uh, from one year to the next, from one day to the next, this can be related to prayer. From when you pray and the belief comes, when you hear, when faith comes. And this can be related to all sorts of things because this is the parable of parables. And Jesus said, if you don't understand this, how will you understand any parable? This is, Jesus said, it's been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So, Uh, and again, verse 13, he said, "Know you not this parable. How then when you know all parables. So this is the foundation parable. Um, the cares of this world, everybody's been there before. I've had the cares of the world enter in my peace was robbed. Uh, I didn't see any result of, of my prayers, neither for myself or for other people. Um, the deceitfulness of, of riches, you know how that works, thinking that happiness is just a few more possessions away. Happiness is one new house away. It's one raise away. It's one vacation away. Um, it's another $20,000 a year away or what, whatever. I mean, you can put anything in there. And then you get it, and it's like a piece of gum. The flavor lasts for a minute or two, and then it's gone, and you're, you just feel like, well, that's all there is, and what else? Uh, the lust for other things choke in, uh, choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. But then, finally, the 20th verse, it says, These are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it. What did Jesus say? When you pray, believe you receive it. They hear the word, they receive it, and they bring forth fruit. Some 30 times, some 60, and some 100 so there's two kinds of fruit. There's the kind that's invisible, the kind that you grow on the inside of you, patience, perseverance, love, um, the fruits of the Spirit. And then there's the fruit outwardly. Uh, and Jesus had both. right? He He actually showed the works of God outwardly around him. He affected people's lives in a measurable way. And his life was affected in a measurable way. And on the inside, his character and all the things. And that's that's what God has available for us. And just because you don't see it happening in the majority of the people that you know or that you hear about, that doesn't mean that that's God's will. God's not willing, the Bible says, that any should perish, but that everybody should come to a repentance. So, and you know that, just take a look around you and you can see that That's not the path that most people are on. They're on the broad, wide path, it says, that leads to destruction. So, you know, you can pray for other people, but you have your own choices to make. You have your life to live. It's your light that's either going to shine or be hidden. It's your decisions that are going to affect the lives of the people around you, and it's what you do in this world. Um, And your involvement with God's kingdom that will make your life uh, good or or not so good. Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information, please go to the main website at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. That address again is www.faithtestedbyfire.com.